how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. While attending college in London, Jason Keller discovered he wanted to be a screenwriter. Soon he fully committed to the profession and moved to Los Angeles with no connections and little to no safety net. Over the years, he worked every job imaginable on a set while studying scripts at night. During his first decade in LA, he experienced what's known as development hell. Keller sold an array of scripts to people like Mel Gibson and Michael Mann, but didn't receive his first credit until Machine Gun Preacher in 2011. The next few years, he sold Mira Mira, Escape Plan, and now Ford v Ferrari. James Mangle directs Matt Damon in Christian Bale in his latest film, which is described as American car designer Carol Shelby and driver Ken Miles battle corporate interference to laws of physics and their own personal demon to build a revolutionary race car for Ford and challenge Ferrari. Enjoyed this interview. Also, listen to episode 192 where we speak with Darren Prescott, the, who did these stunts for the film. And look for the print version of this interview on Creative Screenwriting's website and join millions of viewers for the new YouTube series, Creative Principles, which dissects new films, series, and more. Well, you know, I, I think I had a somewhat atypical. Um, you know, uh, life before becoming a screenwriter. I mean, I, you know, I didn't really discover film until, um, until college really. I, I had, um, I had been invited to, to spend a year abroad in London at a, at Regents college. And, and, um, and it was over there that I, that I took my first film classes and, and sort of film appreciation classes and, and really, and really fell in love with film and, and, uh, you know, for the first time understood that really it was, it could be a profession. I mean, that's really, that's where I kind of, um, got the bug and, and became very interested in that. And, you know, prior to that, I had been a, I had been a, you know, a, a writer, um, but secretly, I mean, I, I had always enjoyed writing, but it was never anything I really pursued. And, and, um, and so when I went to school in London and, and really for the first time understood that there was something called a screenplay or that you could, you know, you could write plays, which is a thing that I started to do at that point in my life too. Um, th that's when, um, that's when I, I started to kind of think, oh, this is an, this would be an interesting profession, maybe, um, but knew nothing about it. And, and that kind of started my journey, really, you know, when I was a young person of, you know, 19, 20 years old or something like that. 
What was kind of your next step? Did you look for a mentor or read books or take classes? Yeah, you know, I, my next step, I think, was a somewhat dramatic one. I mean, I um, I went to school in London, and I was there for, for almost a year, and um, and was and realized that I wanted to move to Los Angeles. I, 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 I realized that I wanted to find, I wanted to do something in the, in the entertainment business. And, and I didn't necessarily know exactly what that was. I mean, you know, the idea of, you know, pursuing a streamlining career was, was so still at that point foreign to me. Um, uh, and it took me a number of years to kind of focus on that. But I, I just knew the entertainment business was something I was interested in. And I knew that I loved film very much. And so um, I grew up in a, you know, relatively small town in Indianapolis. So, um, you know, the idea of going to California to just see what maybe I could get into out there was my that was my a big step for me, you know, so I sort of packed up, you know, everything I owned and I drove to Los Angeles and, um, and started to work in the business. I mean, I, I really, I did every job. I think I've done every job, you know, on a film crew that there is. I mean, I was, I worked as a grip, I worked as a gaffer, you know, I worked as a production coordinator, I, you know, I was an AD, you know, I mean, I just did everything for many, 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 many years, just kind of learning what it took to make a movie or a TV show. And, and all the while, um, kind of being drawn to the idea of writing, um, uh, film or TV. And so, but that, but that was really the thing for me that was, that was, um, a big moment in my career was just, you know, being willing to step into the entertainment business with no connections, no understanding of Los Angeles, but just a willingness to um, kind of soak it all, all up and, and learn at that level. So what did that period, so a lot of people don't really think about the time it takes when you're maybe doing edits or selling options, but not actually getting the, the credits on screen. What did that kind of period teach you about the craft of writing? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, it, it was a different time for me when I first came to Los Angeles. I mean, you have to figure this was, this was in the early mid nineties, right? So this is, you know, this is before the internet, you know, this is before the ability to kind of go online and download a screenplay and read a screenplay. This is really before, uh, you know, many of the kind of terrific screenwriting books had become, uh, you know, before they'd been, uh, you know, available. So there was very little out here, you know what I mean? And there was, there were a couple, there were a couple books that I, um, you know, uh, that I read about the craft of screenwriting. And I tried to get my hands on as many screenplays as I could to kind of see what, I mean, literally just see what a screenplay looked like. I mean, it was, I'll never forget, you know, those years. So you're talking the early mid nineties, you know, until I, I think I sold my first screenplay in 1999 or something like that, 2000, um, you know, you had to work to, 
understand the craft of screenwriting. It wasn't so easily, there was no, um, you know, uh, there were no websites about screenwriting. There was no, there were no blogs about it there. You know, you, you know, it wasn't a thing that was sort of easily known to people like me who wanted to break into the business. And, you know, I remember there was this, I think it's still there now, but there was this store on Hollywood Boulevard called Book City Collectibles. And in the back room of Book City Collectibles, there was, they had a library of screenplays. So this was, these were, you know, hard copy screenplays that, that this store had, I don't know how they had kind of, you know, curated this library, but for $12 and 50 cents, you could buy a screenplay. And that was, you know, that was what I did in those early years is, you know, I would scrape together money and I'd go buy three or four screenplays and I would just pour over them and see how other writers, you know, had, you know, you know, uh, you know, written a movie and how they had built their acts and, you know, um, what made one screenplay a great read and the other one sort of, you know, not so compelling. Um, and at the same time I was working in the business, you know, just getting any, trying to get any job that I could get. So it was this interesting thing from, it was an interesting education. I don't really even real, I didn't realize that it was happening, but I was reading screenplays, you know, whenever I could get my hands on them, you know, um, and then also going and working as a grip or working as a PA or working in the, you know, sound department. And so I was able to kind of see sort of a movie built on, on the page and then immediately the next day see how it was practically put together. So those years for me were, they were my education. I think other, you know, you know, other people had the good fortune of going to film school and this is something that you learn in film school. I didn't have that. So that was my film school for many, many years before I ever sold my first thing. So I read on, I think an interview with Variety said that you had, um, talked about or, or maybe sold some options to like Mel Gibson and Michael Mann. Is there something maybe in retrospect, looking back, like, is there something different about those early scripts and maybe they got sold, but they didn't get made versus the ones that did get made? Is there like something about, is it mostly just timing? Is it just situational? What are some of your insights on that? It's, it's, it's always a, um, it's always a tricky thing to try and, make sense of why a thing gets made versus why something doesn't, you know? Um, uh, and I think it has to do with a lot of different factors, you know, it, you know, timing is everything I think out here in the movie business, when it comes to being a writer, you know, you can write something that you feel is a really strong, uh, screenplay, you know, but, you know, the industry might not be interested in making that kind of movie at that moment, you know, and we certainly see this happening now a lot, you know, you see, you see the, um, certainly the studio film business contracting in a certain way, you know, studios are must are, are less likely to be making, you know, dramas or little thrillers or, um, some of these more character driven, stories, you know, they're really more interested in, in, in making, you know, bigger franchisable movies. Um, y- you know, 
we're always trying to figure out, I think, as screenwriters in this town, um, you know, it's, it's always that battle between what we want to write and what we think is a great story and what we know that the town may respond to. Right. Um, and I think this is this, this is the struggle of a professional screenwriter. I think, you know, you can't, it's not enough to just sit in a room and write a story that is only personal to you. I think you have to have an eye toward what the marketplace, um, is responding to, um, if you want to get movies made and, and there's the tricky balance, right? You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, um, you don't want to um, fall victim to that marketplace, but you also don't want to ignore it. Um, and so you asked the question about um, what were the differences between the screenplays that I've written that haven't been made or the ones that have been made. You know, I, I, I think that it was just many, you know, as many different things. It was timing. It was a different business. You know, maybe I had written a screenplay that, um, you know, was well received, but, um, you know, I was too late in that maybe a similar movie came out before that. I mean, there's just so many factors that go into what gets a green light and what doesn't. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to kind of distill it down to one thing, but, but, but timing, I mean, you said it, I think timing is something that's a very real issue out here. Aside from uh, maybe Mira Mira, maybe not, it seems like Machine Gun Preacher, Escape Plan, and even Ford versus Ferrari are kind of written for the same audience. Did you kind of move into a certain genre or a certain voice that more defined you over the years? It's interesting to think about, um, uh, you know, the, the, the similarities between the maybe the screenplays I've written or what I'm drawn to. I mean, yes, I think Mirror Mirror, Mirror is kind of an outlier, but you know, I I do think that I'm drawn to um well, it's funny. I you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Somebody was asking me a question about uh, you know, uh, about this and you know, I I think that I'm drawn to stories um um about in many ways, individuals struggling to find themselves. I mean, I, I find that identity is a theme that plays over and over again in, in some of the things that I am drawn to and, and some of the things that I write. Um, um, you know, and, and, and so, I, you know, I, I think that's, that's the correlation I see between um, uh the writing I've done and, and, and certainly the movies that I've had made is at, at the center. It's all, you know, it's often, um, you know, lead characters that are struggling to understand sort of, you know, who they are and where they fit in the world. And I, I think there's also for me, and I'm kind of going on a tangent, but I think there's also for me, um, interestingly, um, oftentimes a real, uh, father son component to, these stories, or at least it's a way that I find my way into stories. I mean, it certainly was the case for Ford versus Ferrari and, and also for Machine Gun Preacher at a many different levels. Um, I think, you know, as screenwriters, you look for a way into a story, whether it's a true story or, you know, a fictional one, you look for a way that 
you can connect to it personally. And those are two, those are two ways I often find myself connecting to stories is looking for a father son dynamic or looking, you know, looking at the protagonist, um, you know, looking at a protagonist and, and how they're struggling to find themselves or fit in, in the world in which they live. I mean, those are, those are sort of themes that I, I, I feel run through some of the movies I've written. Um, and certainly what I look for. Well, let's talk Ford and Ferrari. Where, where did that kind of start? Do you start with something like this? Do you start with research? Do you start with character? What's kind of your logistics of your process? That one certainly was research. I mean, that, that was, um, that was a story that was brought to my attention. I, I have, I've been a racing fan my entire life. I, I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, you know, my grandparents lived in Speedway, Indiana, and the Indianapolis 500 sort of happened in that state, you know, you know, in May of every year. And, you know, growing up as a young boy uh, in Indiana, you know, you were into two things. You were into basketball and you were into racing. So, um, you know, with Ford versus Ferrari, um, that started with a personal connection to that story at a certain level. Um, and that, and that's why I was very sort of drawn to it and very excited to, um, be able to tell that story. Um, you know, I didn't know specifically about, um, that battle between Ford and Ferrari and, and formula one and endurance racing wasn't necessarily a, uh, uh, a type of racing that I grew up with. Um, but when I was, you know, when I started to get into it and I started to do the research, it really started to come alive to me. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, for me on that one, it was all about understanding that world and understanding the players in that world and understanding their histories and where they come from and, you know, understanding who Carol Shelby was, um, you know, prior to 1965, 1966, and, you know, what compels a guy like Ken Miles to, um, you know, uh, push a race car to the limit, you know, over and over and over again. And, you know, who was Enzo Ferrari? And so at that, you know, for the first couple months, I mean, I think I just read everything there was uh, about that period in of racing and, you know, and, and formula one and endurance racing. That, that was my, that was the first order of business on that one for me. Can you tell me a little bit about how you think about obstacles? So I'm looking at the description here. We've got some underdogs in Shelby and miles it says they're battling corporate interference, the laws of physics and their own personal demons. How does it kind of help just to keep having things coming at them? How does that better create your story and make it more compelling screenplay? Well, you know, the, those obstacles, um, you know, that's, you know, that's, you know, the adventure of a story, you know what I mean? To see our protagonists, you know, faced with challenges and having to overcome them. Um, uh, and certainly, you know, um, those obstacles have to land at, at the right moment in a story, you know, um, but that that was an interesting one because, you know, the obstacles were real, you know, it didn't require me having to manufacture them, you know, as I got deeper into the story, I saw, you know, the, 
you know, I saw what these guys and this team had to overcome um, in order to just, uh, you know, keep a team together or build a car that would last at Le Mans or, um, you know, beat Ferrari. I mean, it just, those obstacles became, you know, um, those, those real life obstacles um, became very apparent as I dug deeper and deeper into the true story. And, and it just, in many ways, um, uh, you know, all, all I had to do was read and, and I just was so drawn in by what these guys had to really accomplish in their life, um, to get this, you know, to get this story done. And then, so in terms of a screen play, I mean, you know, it's, it, you have to put your protagonist through hell, you know what I mean? And I think this story too, Ford versus Ferrari in many ways, um, a theme for me is fail was failure. I mean, um, these guys were trying something that had never been done before, and it was in many ways an impossible, um, you know, an impossible feat. And failure was the constant through line. You know, these obstacles that they were faced with, they didn't overcome all of them. You know, they failed often. Um, and from those failures, they, you know, built a better sports car. They became closer as friends. They fine-tuned the racing team, you know, and the machines. And so, you know, failure in the face of those obstacles were, you know, was a thing that, that became an important kind of through line in the screenplay um, and how they would overcome each of those failures. So I would assume kind of when you're doing research like this, you, you probably find your tentpole action scenes to help you outline the story. But are there any things that come to mind that you really liked, but it didn't fit in for whatever reason? And how do you kind of make those decisions? Well, this one, it's a good question. I mean, this one was tricky in that regard, you know, because, you know, the movie really focuses on, you know, basically 19, you know, 64, 65, 66. I mean, it really focuses on two and a half, three years, um, you know, of the story. But the story was, you know, far bigger than that. I mean, you know, the, you know, the characters involved um, were so compelling, and there's so many of them. I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, the movie is focused on Shelby and Ken Miles mostly, and and Ford's, um, you know, uh, attempt to beat Ferrari. But you know, there was another compelling drama unfolding, you know, across the Atlantic, you know. Enzo Ferrari and his team were feeling enormous pressure from um, from the Ford team, and there were some absolutely compelling characters and dynamics that were unfolding at the same time over in Italy. I mean, you're talking about very sort of iconic race car drivers, and John Surtees and Lorenzo Bandini were battling on the on the Ferrari team um, at that time. Um, you know, trying to kind of, um, you know, prove their mettle. So, and the result was that as I started to dig deeper into the story, you know, there's just so much to this story. And, um, you know, the movie focuses on, um, you know, really two or three races that were critical, you know, during 64, 65, and 66. But what was also happening was um, a number of other key races and, and, you know, you could say action set pieces that were 
were important to the story and also incredibly dynamic, but that we just couldn't put into a screenplay. I mean, it just would have been too much, you know? Um, and th- that was a tricky thing to, to, um, be editorial about, you know, I, I think some of my, you know, my, I know, you know, my first draft of Ford versus Ferrari was over 200 pages long. Um, and that became really, in many ways, the hardest part of developing this movie was deciding what to cut out of the story. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of tentpole moments and there were a lot of action sequences and there were a lot of, um, you know, um, incredibly compelling character turns, um, that, and characters really that just couldn't make it into a two, two and a half hour movie. Um, and so it was, it was hard to cut those out. I spoke with, um, Darren Prescott who helped with some of the stunts, the second unit director a week or so ago. He's kind of known for authentic car chases and stunt work. Tell me a little bit about how you write compelling action, do you leave, is everything there? Do you leave some things out? It seems like with these cars, it has to be pretty specific, but what does that look like on the page? I mean, on the page, you know, action, you know, in my view must, you know, must further character, you know? So, um, it must, um, you must come out of an action sequence. And in, in, you know, in this case, it's a, a, you know, car race, you know, you know, you have to come out of those sequences, understanding your character differently, or um, seeing what he either did or did not overcome, um, and understanding, you know, coming out of, you know, those, you know, um, those action sequences, you know, how, you know, how the story will be, you know, sort of propelled you know, over the next 10 minutes as a result, you know, you, you know, so, so, I mean, I approach all action sequences as just opportunities to really get deeper into character. And if it's been done well, you come out of those sequences um, with a, you know, with more questions and, or maybe more answers to your character. And, and, in terms of Ford versus Ferrari and those racing sequences, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's potentially um, a, a concern that cars racing around a, a track can be really um, relentless and boring. You know what I mean? So it was very important that as soon as a driver stepped into those cars, that we we were engaged at a character level with them, you know, and we were hoping, you know, that, that whatever the outcome of that race was going to be, that, you know, we knew that at a character level, it was going to be significant. I I think if you do that on any action sequence, then the action sequence, you know, besides just being thrills, um, becomes a, you know, important part of your story. So movies like, uh, Ford and Ferrari and Machine Gun Preacher, they're not as typical today. It feels like we're mainly aiming for, you know, giant blockbusters and that kind of thing. They feel like the movies we used to make. When I first saw the trailer for this one, it kind of reminded me of the right stuff. What advice do you have for people who want to make, you know, real gritty movies rather than just going to write for TV? Like, how can they better get their movies made? It's a great question. And again, I think all of us struggle with that question out here. Um, 
at every level of screenwriting, you know. I think first and foremost, you know, you, you do have to write, you know, something that you believe in that you have a personal connection to, you know, um, you know, I think if you, if you are deeply connected to the story you're telling, then it comes across on the page, you know, and, and if it's a gritty character drama, you know, you know, it needs to really come alive. You know, um, you're right. It's tricky these days to get these kinds of movies made. Um, but you know, maybe there's, you know, some light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, maybe Ford versus Ferrari does really well and, and maybe Hollywood becomes a little more willing to make it character driven stories. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that sort of chokehold that, um, you know, the superhero franchises or the big, the big blockbuster, big blockbuster franchises have on Hollywood will loosen a little bit and, and studios will see that there's an appetite for these kinds of movies. Let's hope so. Um, but you know, if I'm talking to fellow writers, I mean, I, I, I'm probably wanting to not discourage them from writing those small gritty character driven stories. Um, I want those movies, you know, and I want writers to write those movies. I think I'm, I think I would say it's important for those writers to be very conscious of the marketplace. And there's a way to do both. I think there's a way to do a, um, moving, um, you know, character driven story that, you know, as you say, might be gritty, um, in a way that, um, financiers, see a potential upside in, in terms of, you know, making money. I, I think you can't, I think you have to, this day and age, I think you have to be someone who studies the marketplace. So that would be my advice is to, is people who are, um, and writers like myself who want to write character driven movies. I think we also have to become, become students of the marketplace and, and give the marketplace something that, it requires at the same time being true to these stories that we want to tell, you know, and that way I think we become successful. And in many ways, I think that's why Ford versus Ferrari, you know, got made. And, and it's, you know, I attribute that success to James Mangold and the team because they responded to a character driven story, um, but were able to build it into a, big movie. And I think it's a perfect example of how that can be done. Um, if you're being very wise about, um, the marketplace, you know, the current marketplace that we're living in. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating, providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.